Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Fence Sider with the PH. Wednesday night, that means it's another. Uh, episode of Finsider Radio. Good evening, everyone. My name is Keith. It's uh, good to be back with you again. We're going to do about uh, about an hour to 75 minutes tonight, depending on how things go. As always, my faithful uh, co-host and good friend, Duke, what's up? What's up? As usual, Lewis is late, but he just rolled in. Lewis, what's going on? Lewis is here. Lewis is here. <clears throat> And the third person has started. Uh, yeah. Kind of going into that, we were making jokes last week about the fan base panicking uh, in light of everything that happened in Washington in week one. Uh, <laughs> after the loss in Jacksonville uh, last Sunday, I'd say that all the, the panic, the anxiety, all of that is in overdrive now. Uh, if you've been on Twitter the past few days, and I believe a fair amount of you are because we're able to communicate through Twitter, uh, you've seen that, I mean, things are just over the top right now. And, I mean, a lot of it was expected. I was hoping we'd make it a, a good amount through the season, maybe halfway before you heard any of the, the anti-Philbins. We're, we're already there after after last Sunday's game. Uh, Kevin Coyle is taking a beating right now, and um, I actually don't have too much of a problem with that just because I've never been a big Kevin Coyle fan, but for the sake of the team, it'd be nice to – to not have to listen to this stuff after week week two right now. But you lose to Jacksonville. I mean, Jacksonville is an up-and-coming team, uh, in my opinion. I mean, they are winning the uh, the AFC South right now. Uh, I don't know about Blake Bortles long-term, but I do like their running game. I think T.J. Yeldon's pretty good. Uh, and I was impressed by their defensive line. I mean, it's easy to look at good against the Dolphins right now in certain, when you're you're putting up a pass rush. But, Jimmy, Jared Odrick uh, playing defensive end for them. Paul Posluzny. Looked really good, uh, ageless in some ways, just because of all the uh, injuries he had early in his career. I know the secondary is still a concern, but I mean, Jacksonville is not a bad team, but that is a game that Miami should have won. I don't think most or any fans are going to disagree with that for the most part. That is, I mean, the, the incredibly late start, that stagnant first quarter on offense was absolutely terrible. It was even worse on defense. Uh, Allen Robinson was just getting anything he wanted 
against Miami's defense early on in that game. Blake Bortles had plenty of time. Uh, he had some movement outside the pocket as well. Ryan Tannehill gets it going. I thought Ryan Tannehill on Sunday uh, had a couple of drives where he looked absolutely phenomenal. I don't know that he's looked better as an NFL quarterback. And then with the, you know, Brandon Albert is out again, Jason Fox goes over the left tackle, and it turns into just a, an absolute nightmare that I think a lot of us expected. Uh, the hits just kept coming after that. There was that strip near the goal line. That, I mean, credit to Fox. He was able to, to brush that ball over the goal line and keep it from uh, becoming a safety or, even worse, a, a touchdown had Jacksonville recovered. But the, the pass rush at that point was too much for for Miami. The offensive line just could not hang. This team does not want to run the football right now, as most people have, have pointed out on Twitter. Uh, the news came out on Monday that I guess Andamakan Sue went rogue in that game. That's the report that he was ignoring some of Kevin Coyle's play calls. Uh, judging from what Kevin Coyle is calling right now, I can't say I really blame Dominican Sue, although it would be nice to not have uh, mutiny this early in the season. So we'll start with uh, with Duke. Uh, is it as bad as everyone has made it seem two weeks into the season? And we'll start with uh, also, what do you make of the Dominican Sue uh, rogue shark news? <clears throat> uh, I, I don't. I don't think that's true. Um, I mean, he may have maybe a couple of plays or something, who knows, but I don't think he's just freelancing at will uh, all the time. That doesn't make any sense. Um, As far as the rest of it, I mean, I think Miami wins that game. The way Tannehill was moving the ball down the field, if they could eliminate the penalties, the last, they scored the touchdown in the third quarter, at 20 to 20, and every drive after that had a negative play of some sort, a sack, a penalty, a negative run, just something like that. You cannot have that. You, even if you run the ball for no gain, you've got to do something. You just and you can't have all those stupid penalties, holding penalties, you know, just just stuff like that. You've got to get that kind of stuff cleaned up. 13 penalties for 112 yards. You're not going to win football games. I don't care who you're playing and how talented you are. You're not going to win football games when you're doing that kind of stuff. And when you're not running the ball and you're having to pass it and your left tackle is out and you're backed up because of a holding penalty instead of, I think at one point there was a, a third down run it was like two or three yards the game to first down, and then there was a holding penalty back to that mate, third and ten. And I think the next play, Tannehill had to throw the ball away. Um, you, you just can't live like that, and that's what was happening. If they clean up a few of those penalties, I think Miami scores a couple times, maybe another touchdown, maybe ten points, a couple of field goals, who knows. I think they win the game, and, you know, we're not talking about this. What do you think, Lewis? What's going on with the Dolphins right now? What were your take, uh, big take always from uh, Sunday's game? What I took away is that somebody is hurt on that defensive line. They have to be because there's there's no pass rush whatsoever. I mean, if you want to talk about Kevin Coyle's defensive schemes, that's fine and dandy. You can talk about how maybe the linebackers are a mess and he needs to work around that, and maybe he needs to work around the fact that Walt Aikens and uh, Bryce McCain are not in uh, – the best positions to succeed right now. But really, the defensive line really has only two jobs. Stop run up front and rush the passer. They have been able to do neither. So I cannot imagine that the combination of Jared Audrick and Earl Mitchell or Jared Audrick and Randy Starks or whatever you want to, whatever combination you want to put there, is better than Ndamukong Sue and whoever happens to be next to him. It's 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 baffling to me that either some either Sue is out of shape and he got lazy during the off season or something like that, which I doubt highly, or somebody is messed up because it feels like this defensive line is nowhere close to what it was last year. I mean, last year they fell off because they got tired. We assumed that was it. They they were exhausted. They were old. They were running out of gas because they had to kill back on the field all the time. But this time it was a new season, and they have already they already look like they've been playing for like eight months straight. So 
I don't know what's up. That, I don't know what's up with that, and that in itself bothers me. Um, the offense. What can I say about Ryan Tannehill that can say anything other than he's awesome? I mean, if you want to complain, you could say that oh, he should have hit this throw and he should have hit this throw, or he shouldn't have held the ball so long here. But other than that, like you would have to nitpick his game overall to try and find something bad to say about him. He has no running game whatsoever to help him with. He has very bad offensive line most of the time. Uh, I won't say that it was absolutely horrendous because there were several times where he did have some sort of a pocket to work with, and he made, he took advantage of it. Um, the wide receivers, I mean, Richard Matthews and Jarvis Landry, I see people saying that Richard Matthews is just a guy. Well, guess what? He So is Julian Edelman, supposedly. So supposedly he's also just a guy, and Brady was making him look better. But you know what? If that's if that's working so well, then I don't see why you take the just the guy out. Richard Matthews has earned his playing time, and I get annoyed when I see people saying that he needs to be benched in favor of Kenny Stills because speed or Devontae Parker because shiny new toy rookie person because Richard Matthews plays like he's twice his size. He will, he will, he will knock down anybody in order to get what he needs to get. So that that I need, that I took away is that Landry, Matthews, and Cameron – work really well with Tannehill. Cameron is not going to be – I don't know if Cameron's going to be ready. I don't think he practiced today, so that's going to be a problem. But Deion Sims managed to come, managed to play uh, practice limited today, so that's the good news. Deion Sims is decent starter material, so just having Sims back is going to help a lot. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about takeaways. That's about it. The Dolphins as a whole are a mess, but there's a lot of good stuff to look at too, but you just kind of have to – you have to weed through the bad stuff to get there. Yeah, I would agree that with this team, there's a lot to like in terms of the personnel. Uh, you mentioned Coyle, and the the one thing I don't understand about Kevin Coyle right now, he has far more faith in that linebacker core than anyone else on the planet right now. He is okay with those guys working in space. He has no problem with it. And you're seeing those guys are getting, I mean, they're just getting eaten alive for the most part. I did like Jelani Jenkins the other day, especially uh, in some instances where he was running, rushing the passer and his ability to tear into the backfield. I like that. I think that guy is going to be really important going forward. Uh, the the run defense right now makes no sense to me that that's the one thing I expected this defensive line to do was, was shore it up and, uh, and really plug up the gaps that, that these guys were were leaving behind last season. I don't get that. Uh, I don't understand people beating up on Ryan Tannehill. Touchdown drives he had were outstanding. The second one was absolutely money. That is as good a drive as you're going to see from a quarterback in the National Football League. It was just it was outstanding. The throws he made, that, that one to Stoneburner in the end zone was just phenomenal. That's good stuff. And I'm sitting there watching it, and I was glad because I was at home, and uh, I'm surrounded by Bears fans. I mean, I mean, they would take anyone. They would take Ronald McDonald as their quarterback at, at this point. So they watched Ryan Tannehill play, and they're like, man, that guy's really good. And that touchdown pass was something. The first one was great, too, especially because it showed his ability to escape and really move in the pocket and out of the pocket, which is important. Uh, Richard is outstanding right now. I haven't seen... I, at least on my feed, too many people beating up on him. If they are, that's ridiculous. Because Richard has been absolutely the price of admission right now. I, I mean, he's just he's been great on third down. His route running is even better than it was, and I considered him a strong route runner uh, going into the season. Uh, he just he's playing like he wants it. He's playing like he wants to earn a spot. So if people want to go ahead and replace him with Kenny Stills, uh, that's your opinion. And yeah, Kenny Stills brings a lot of speed to the table. But, I mean, Richard's not a slouch. I mean, Richard's, what, a high 4-4 guy, maybe? And his game speed is, is fine with me. And you mentioned that. I mean, he's got physicality that is really working for him right now. So there is a lot to like with this team. Uh, the frustrating thing is there's there's a leak in the boat somewhere. And I, I naturally, people don't want to look at the defensive line and say there's a problem with it. Uh, you can't look at quarterback and say there's a problem with it, especially last week. Uh, I don't think there's a problem in the receiver core. There's obviously multiple problems on the offensive line right now. I think consistency, 
uh, and being able to sustain momentum are, are big problems. And Brandon Albert not being in there is something we've discussed multiple times because once he goes out, once he, you lose that anchor on the left side and you start having to play musical chairs uh, up front, that's a problem, especially considering a lot of the inexperience we have up front anyway. So that's a problem too. So a lot of people have targeted the uh, – the, um, coaching staff, which was natural. We we all saw that one coming. I as soon as last week's game ended, I knew that Philbin was just absolutely gonna gonna take it on the chin this week. Uh I'm not a Philbin fan. I really have never been a Philbin fan. I wouldn't get all hot and bothered about Todd Bowles just yet. I like Todd Bowles as a coach and I was cool with keeping him here when he was doing the interim gig in two thousand eleven. Uh I think the Jets going two and O uh really doesn't indicate that Bowles is going to go down in history as, as the next Bill Belichick. I think he's a good coach. Uh, I don't know that about Philbin. I think Philbin's got a lot of weird quirks, and I'm not, I've never been certain that his style and his teachings uh, transition 100% to, uh, to a team in an effective manner. So I don't know. I'm not ready to, to sit there and, and throw everything at him. I'm not a Coyle fan either. In fact, I really dislike Kevin Coyle's style. I always have. For a guy who came to us from Cincinnati as sort of like this defensive back guru, uh, I've never seen it. Uh, a lot of his moves leaving me scratching my head. Uh, but I'm willing to give these guys the benefit of the doubt because I really think that there's so many good pieces on this team right now that it would be an absolute shame to inhibit or hinder anyone's progress based on a personal agenda. Yeah, I don't like Coyle. I don't like Philbin. I do like Bill Lazor, even though his play calling is, has befuddled me a little bit this season. Uh, but I want, to see, I want to see these guys get on track. I want to see this thing get back on the rails because, frankly, this team is too talented for this season to be just another Miami Dolphins 8-8 season. These guys are too good. You spent too much money. And I know that it's more than that. But, honestly, you have so much talent up front on the defensive side of the football. Your secondary is raw. Yeah, the Delmas injury doesn't help. Aikens did some really stupid things the other day. Olivier Vernon's penalty was absolutely stupefying. I still, I've kind of just ignored it because I just could not comprehend it at the time. But there's just so much talent here. So something's got to give, and hopefully it gives quick because you got Buffalo coming, in, coming into town on Sunday. Uh, they just got their ass kicked. I, I realized they made that, that game close late, but the culmination of them talking about New England for an entire week that just dropped on their heads like a ton of bricks. That, I don't know if anyone watched the first half of that game. That was pretty much like when uh, Homer beat up the Krusty Burglar and that kid was telling him to stop it. Cause, stop it, he's already dead. That's how I felt watching that Buffalo game. That was a, just a straight ass kicking. So, I mean, those guys have something to prove just like we do. And something's got to give. I didn't mean to – whoever was trying to talk there, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to finish that point. Yeah. I, I I like that you made that point, though, because, I mean, the argument is is that, like you said, there's a ton of talent on this team right now. But the problem is that instead of saying the talent is going to overcome the coaching, they're saying the coaching is going to drag this team down. And th- there are some merits to that kind of idea because you – like you said, the, like like us right now, the Bills have something to prove. Only there's a big difference. Joe Philbin being a player's coach, whatever the heck that means. I don't even know what that means. I mean, if that means he lets the uh, the inmates run the prison. I don't know. I, it, it it just it doesn't seem right to me. It seems like Philbin is still Philbin. Like you can be friendlier if you want, but he's still going to be his. Uh, live long and prosper Vulcan unemotional self on the sideline. And then you have Rex Ryan who hollers and he screams and he gets his guys pumped up and all that stuff. And I, you can make the argument that you shouldn't need your coach to do the pumping up for you. But I think what it does is that it kind of creates this, this sense of unity in the locker room and in, in with the team itself, when you have the coach, pretty much joining in he's, he's he's an honorary player he's there he's yelling he's hollering along with you guys he's one of you and joe philbin can't or won't do that I th- i'm i'm actually leaning more towards the former i don't think he's capable of being that kind of a guy so i agree you already have that disadvantage of um 
of the coaching. And I wish I had made this point on my show last night because this time I suddenly just thought of it, and I, st- I feel like a genius for saying it. We're happy to, to set you up in that regard. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's so frustrating right now, and we're only two weeks in. Honestly, I mean, think about, in, you know, 2013, this team started out 3-0, and uh, and Ryan Tannehill wasn't playing nearly as good as he is now. So, I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that instead, I mean, they're one and one. Uh, even when this team got out uh, against New England with a hot start last year, it wasn't really all because of Tannehill. You know, Noshan Marino had a huge game. The pass rush against New England that first week was absolutely monstrous. So, I mean, like, it's frustrating that you're seeing this, this young quarterback grow up and he's doing these great things. And like I said, I don't mean to oversell those drives he had, and I realize it's against Jacksonville, who is, I mean, a young defense trying to find its way. But those throws he made on those drives were just phenomenal. You could not throw them any better. It's the kind of stuff where when Aaron Rodgers throws the ball, you're like, oh, yeah, that's just Aaron Rodgers doing what he does. I felt like we saw a little bit of that uh, ability from Ryan Tannehill, which is incredibly exciting because that's what we've been waiting for. I know people want to bitch about uh, that one throw uh, that where he overthrew um, uh, Jordan Cameron. Right. People tend to overlook the fact that Tannehill got absolutely drilled on that throw. So I'm I'm not going to hold that against him at all. Um, and by the way, I don't I still don't think Mike Wallace is doing anything in Minnesota. I think that guy has just been a a, a speed decoy. It's his worst nightmare right now. Uh, just you know run long and you know take the take that safety with you. So something's got to give. I think that if you're going to go ahead and turn it around. Uh, correct what needs to be fixed early on. Doing it against this Buffalo team sounds ideal to me. I think that this is a perfect opportunity for this team to put it together. Uh, If you're the offensive line, glue it together and just get out there and, and take it to these guys. Because New England proved last week that that defense is, while it's very good, all right, that defense is not the Loctite uh, scheme that people said it was when they beat down uh, uh, Indianapolis the first week. And I realize a good defense just beat them down on Monday as well. But that's New England, though, Keith. I mean, New England beats on pretty much everybody because they don't – they're not – New England is different from every other team in the league because they're not looking to just run their offense the way they want to do it, like Miami or any other team in the NFL does. New England bases their offense strictly, almost almost exclusively around what is this team's weakness? Where What can we exploit? Who can we exploit? And that's why New England seems to always win their games because they're not looking to run their offense. They, they practically make a new offense every time they play a different team. Like if you're Miami, they're going to throw wherever Philip Wheeler happens to be on the field. That was last year. Or you're going to throw wherever uh, Jamar Taylor happens to be on the field or Will Davis or whoever happens to be the corner that day. Or they're just going to pick on the people who are going to wind up being the weak points. And that's why you saw them attack Ronald Darby all game long, and that's part of why Buffalo's defense got exposed. They showed that, oh, so here's the weak point. Let's attack there. I don't think Miami is going to do that. Miami does what Miami does. The actual point I was going to make there, uh, yes, it is New England, but the fact is, is after that first week, everyone was talking about that Buffalo defense like it was just this incredible juggernaut. And, yeah, the front seven is outstanding. Rex finally has pass rushers, which he did not have in New York, which is a pretty scary thought because that defense definitely made hay, despite the fact that it had nothing – better than Calvin Pace coming off the edge uh, during Rex's time there. And the secondary looks pretty good, too. You know, uh, yet uh, Stefan Gilmore was just all in the covering Gronkowski. I think that's a fool there, and that's insane. But I agree that uh, the Patriots uh, completely exposed that team's one one flaw, but the point is, is Buffalo has flaws. I mean, this is, this right. is a defense that you know, can't be had. We're not going against the 2000 Ravens here. So, which is something that people had their minds made up about after Buffalo played in week one. All Dolphins fans thought, great, we get to see this defense in two weeks. It's not going to go well. There's actually there's some breathing room here. There's there's success to be had, but this is a team that's got to get turned around. And it's, but this is, I hate but that, to say it, but a lot of it, it's going to have to come from the quarterbacks. This is a real opportunity for leadership right now. 
but this is my point, Keith. Like, it's like we're we're basically saying the same thing, but we're trying to do it from two different directions. New I'm England, not arguing with you, though. I just I, I just made a point right there. Yeah, my we're point making thinking it. I don't I don't care about in, New England's approach. I'm saying that it can be done. I don't. Right, I, mean, I don't but, give a shit. Oh, I don't give a shit if it's just Miami going to this game. I'm saying that it can be done. There are ways that right. you can get after this defense. That's all I'm saying. Okay, but my question to you would be. Will they? Because I don't think the answer is yes. I think they're going to do the same thing they've been doing for the past few years. I thought they would get after Jacksonville's defense. So that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Can it be done? Yes, it can be done. Will it? Yeah, it can be done. That's the frustrating thing right now. I mean, you said it yourself as well as uh, what I said last week. We thought that this team was going to rebound and uh, put up a a high-scoring effort against Jacksonville. Did that happen? No. Far from it. The team was behind it pretty much the entire game. And, I mean, if you would have thought that, hey, can you score more than 20 points against Jacksonville, I would have liked to have thought, yes, absolutely. Didn't work out that way. So what I'm saying is that I don't know what to expect from this offense right now. I don't know what to expect from this defense because I went into this season thinking that this defensive line was absolutely going to lock it up. It has not. You know, we've seen problems and we've seen injuries. Uh, losing Vernon that first game obviously didn't help. A lot of the temper tantrums in game uh, or in week two didn't help. Uh, I think that Earl Mitchell's still trying to find himself a little bit here. So, I mean, I don't know. I expect this defense to be able to uh, that defensive line to play really well and to cover some work uh, in the, the other two levels of the defense. Will that happen? I don't know. I think what we're going to have to watch for is that the, what, what's happened to the Dolphins is that the running game has been established so quickly against them that they have not been able to utilize their strongest um, power. It's their pass rush, supposedly. They've been playing this conservative style of playing, and it's forced the Dolphins to put extra guys in the box strictly to stop the run. They've had to bring in personnel whose, whose specialties are stopping the run. They haven't been able to throw – uh, Wake and Vernon and Sue and say go get the quarterback because they haven't been able to play with a lead yet. So if the offense can set up a lead, then maybe we might see some more of that defensive line that we were hoping to see. Sue can't do it all. The linebacking core is horrible, and I've said it and I said it numerous times last year, over and over and over again, that Kevin Coyle's defense requires not it not it could use not it might help it requires good linebacker play in order to be successful. That whole defense of Kevin Coyle revolves around what the linebackers can do. And Kelvin Shepard, I don't have another word for him. Zach Vigil's floor is is, um, Kelvin Kelvin Shepard's ceiling, just in my humble opinion. Kohamisi on the outside, eh, okay, that's fine. I would have rather put it in the middle, but that's just me. And – that leaves the only actual good linebacker the Dolphins have to be Jelani Jenkins, and even he's starting to make mistakes because he's trying to do too much, possibly to compensate for his uh, other uh, his, his fellow linebackers' own incompetence. So that in itself is a problem. That defense will not click without good linebacker play, and right now we have arguably the worst linebacker core in all of my, in all of football, and that's a problem. I think it's it's at its worst um, in the middle. I like the personnel that we have outside. I'm not saying that it's outstanding, but, I mean, I really like Jelani Jenkins. Um, yeah. And I don't have a problem with Nisi out there, but I think the great point you made there is um, in this defense, in this scheme that Kevin Coyle's got going on, that middle linebacker position is paramount. The, you need outstanding, instinctual leadership and play from that position, and frankly, I don't think we have that that caliber of player on the roster at that position. So that's another problem going forward. That's something that that Duke has said plenty of times. Duke's really into the linebackers coming out in the draft next year, and after watching this this defense the past two weeks, um, I can absolutely understand why. Actually, another still here? You you just – uh, yeah, I think, well, either that or he's taking a nap, but I actually have a question for him there, uh, kind of tying into something you just said, because the team, part of the the reason I think that they're afraid to run the ball is because they're, they're never playing with a lead. Uh, I mean, the right now, the only purpose 
the running game has for these guys in their minds is that it might go ahead and open or uh, reel in the defense a little bit so they can open it back up with the receivers on the, or at least with the um, personnel on the perimeter. Duke, is the running game always going to be bad this season, or do you think that at some point they find a happy medium and they incorporate more of the ground game in there? They're going to have to. You can't pass the ball 70% of the time. That's not going to work. I mean, even if you're just getting, even if you're just getting, uh, you know, a couple yards here and there, you have to, you have to make the defense honor the run and stop with the sweep, with the uh, stop with the end around, the trick runs. Just run the ball up the middle. Just try to power it up the middle. Probably not going to have a lot of success against Buffalo doing that. But you've got to make them respect the run. Uh, because you can't, I mean, these little play-action passes that we, we do aren't going to be effective if they know you're not going to run the ball. So you need to run the ball, and that'll open up everything else. Um, you know, as good as Tannehill was, you can't, I mean, even even the best quarterbacks have to, they hand the ball off. Um, I mean, you can't just expect him to, uh you know, to win the whole thing, especially when the offensive line was struggling uh, with your left tackle out, uh, getting pressure. Um, I mean, the way I felt was, you know, you watch these um, like the strongman competitions where you have that guy who's like pulling a jumbo jet or something. Uh, he's got a big harness and he's trying to pull. That's, that's how I felt about Tannehill this week. Basically, he was trying to, to lug along this anchor of a team that was just weighing him down. Um I mean, like that one drive, I I wrote on the game thread, it was, uh, there was a sack, and it was, it was like second and 20, second and something, and then there was a delay of game. And I was pretty much like, this this, this is over, this drive is over. He comes back with a, two passes that would have, would have, um, would have gotten first down except Landry dropped that one, which that's kind of a rare instance. But still, I mean, that's just that's what it was. I mean, he he did what he needed to do to move the chains, and and, and the team just let him bow. So, you know, at some point you won't have to, you know, as good as that is, you have to say, listen, all right, we know you can do it, but you need to run the ball. You've got to take some pressure off of him because if you don't, he's going to sit back in the zones, he's going to take away the passing lanes, he's going to start trying to force things. That's when turnovers happen. That's when sacks happen. Run the ball. I have no problem if they come out and go three and out trying to run the ball. You don't like to see three and out, but I'd rather do that than, you know, 10 straight passes. You know, it could be worse, but with the Colts 0-2 right now, I don't know if you've had the chance of going over to any of their fan board, but you would you would be convinced that the apocalypse is coming. And, I mean, Fair enough, you know, we were expected to be a playoff team. That's a expected Super Bowl team right there. I saw plenty of predictions in which you had Indianapolis representing the AFC in the Super Bowl. I mean, it could still happen. The 2003 Patriots started out the season 0-2. They looked terrible the first two games, too. And then, you know, the rest of history, they didn't, they didn't lose another game that season. Uh, probably not going to happen. But, I mean, there's precedent there to think that, I mean, there's there's plenty of football left to be played and plenty of time for these teams to turn it around. But i got to say that Indianapolis looks particularly awful right now. Uh, Pundits who expect Indianapolis to make it to the Super Bowl are a part of the magical QB world that thinks Andrew Luck are elite and should be in the Hall of Fame already. I don't buy it. <laughs> uh, I love that magical QB world. I know that you guys always reference that. I don't see. I forget the guy who uses that as his hashtag. That's Spoon. Um, okay. Yeah, that's right. He talks about the heat so much that I, I just stopped following him. But uh, I like it. And I mean, I agree that everyone wants to just put it on Andrew Luck's shoulders. I think it's unfair to think that he's going to have a bad season just because I mean, he that team has not been very good the first two games. I think they're putting a lot of pressure on him right now, although if you're going to be an elite quarterback, that's something you got to expect. I figure he'll bounce back. I think he's too good not to. 
But that defense in Indianapolis is is just pure rat ass, in my opinion. It is terrible. And I know that they have some guys who can get after the quarterback. That's about it. Their secondary is, is a, just an absolute infirmary right now. Uh, their linebacker core is not much better. So, I mean, I don't know what to expect out of those guys. I mean, if you're in the AFC South, you got to be just absolutely rubbing your hands together right now if you're not the Colts. Especially if you're Jacksonville and you think that you can put enough of a season together to challenge. I know a lot of people are like, hmm, maybe Tennessee's got something going on. I know Houston doesn't have anything going on. Although, I mean, they've, they've competed late in both games that they've lost. So I give them that, considering the fact that I'm not a big fan of Ryan Pallet. But I've seen them play, and, and um, you know, they managed to crawl back into both games that they lost this season, so that's something. But, I mean, the AFC South used to be Indianapolis and everyone else. I suspect that it'll get back to that point this season. I mean, I, th- I think it's too early to to figure it won't come to that. But, I mean, it looks like a bad division right now. So if you're Jacksonville, you got to love it. Because I think, I think Jacksonville's got some good pieces in place. That's the other side of it, you know. I mean, a lot of people beat up the Dolphins for not blowing away Washington. Washington positively beat down St. Louis last week. And, I mean, I understand there's so much parity in the NFL. I don't think Seattle looks very good this, this season thus far. I think Marshawn Lynch looks particularly slow. Uh, I think Russell Wilson looks okay. Um, but considering the fact that they added Jimmy Graham, I think most people are expecting a lot of pop from that offense, and from what I've seen from them this, this season thus far, not really there. But I don't think Seattle's looked that good, and I realize that St. Louis managed to beat them in overtime, but Washington just throttled St. Louis. So, I mean, that could just be the parity factor, but I think Washington's got some really good pieces. I think that front seven is really good. And, I mean, and accordingly, it gave the, the Dolphins fit uh, in week one. I think Jacksonville isn't a soft team anymore. I think I don't know how good of a coach Gus Bradley will end up being for them, but I think they've got some some talent up front uh, on defense. Uh, I know he wants to run that um that Leo scheme. Uh, if if Pozluzny is able to continue playing well, and if they can get some uh, uh, consistency from their secondary, I know they've had a lot of injuries too. Um, and they need consistency on the offensive line, too, because they got some high picks up there that have uh, underperformed thus far, uh, Luke Jokel particularly. So I don't know about Bortles, but I do like T.J. Yeldon. I love Allen Robinson. I thought he was really good coming out of school. So I don't know. But, I mean, that's the other side of it. That we're, A lot of people want to make it out as if the Dolphins are losing to bad or struggling or and or losing to bad teams right now. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that either team that they played is that good, but I think that they've got strengths that have really worked against the Dolphins' weaknesses. So, but I mean, if you're if you're going to be a playoff team, that's something you got to expect. You got to overcome that. You got to beat that, and uh, hopefully soon, because um, if if these guys get throttled by Buffalo on Sunday, it's going to be it's going to get ugly, and I almost don't want to go on Twitter if it comes to that. I understand that. I mean, you're always going to have people who are going to pull the fire alarm and say this this team sucks, fire filled and fire everyone. Uh, I even saw I saw one person say uh, fire Tannehill, which is absolutely the stupidest thing I've read in a while. I, it's not that guy's fault. If anything, that's the one thing that should keep people positive right now. With that guy, at least you've always got a chance. You hope that the defensive line can catch up and can go ahead and plug whatever holes it's got going on right now figuratively and literally. So uh, we're actually rolling up. Um, this is going to be a shorter show tonight just because I've got a couple of other things going on. If uh, anyone wants to go ahead and give us a call, 347-326-9461. We'll take calls for about, I will say, 20, 23, 25 minutes. I know that sounds really specific, but that's the time frame we're working here. So if you want to go ahead and call in, uh, tell us how much you hate this team right now, or if you're actually feeling positive, which, uh, I mean, we hope, we hope you are. There's stuff to like. We talked about that tonight. It's just about harnessing the good stuff and uh, being able to uh, expand on it moving forward. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, kind of shift the focus a little bit. Uh, what teams this season thus far have surprised you? Give me like two or three teams you didn't expect a lot from, but you've seen play and you're like, wow, not bad. We'll start with Duke. Are there any teams you've seen playing 
and you've you've been particularly surprised by what they've uh, done on the field. Sorry, say again, please. I didn't hear. I didn't hear that. What was that? Oh, I just said, could you repeat that? I, I missed it. Oh. Uh, just any teams out there in the NFL, it could be NFC or AFC, that have surprised you this season. Like you didn't think we were going to be particularly good, but you've seen that, and you're like, "Wow, that team actually has something going on right now." Um, I'm trying to think, I think the Chiefs' offense looks uh, looks better. Um, they're moving the ball pretty well. Um, the team that gets surprised me negatively, in a way, is, is Denver. Um, I, I kind of expected Peyton Manning to fall off a little bit, but he his throws just look bad. And he can get by with that now in the warm weather. When he gets um, when he gets cold in Denver, he, he's going to struggle. Uh, I mean, he's, he's become a, a better version of Chad Pennington at this point in time. But his arm doesn't look right. I gotta say, when I was watching that Thursday night game uh, against the Chiefs, he had some throws, and I know that he he was able to atone for a lot of his mistakes. He made some good throws late. They got out of uh, Arrowhead with a win. Um, but I, I gotta say that I, I'm with you that it, this looks like it's gonna be his last season. And I, you know, in a way, I hate to say that I've never been a Peyton Manning fan. I didn't like him when he was at Tennessee. I wasn't a big fan of him coming into the NFL, even when he was a feel-good story with the with the Colts early on. So, um, the team, I'm surprised another by thing the that I think surprising in a kind of bad way are the Baltimore Ravens. Um, yeah, they look bad right now. Thirty-seven yeah, points. To like, I mean, they don't look like a, they don't look like a playoff caliber offense at this point. I mean, Miami really doesn't either. But that's a team that's you know like like the Colts that is supposed to contend for a Super Bowl. And just some of the stuff that I've seen from them just does not look good at all. And if they can't run the ball, I don't know how the running game's going, but if they can't run the ball, I don't know that they have anyone on the outside capable of, you know, opening things up. Yeah. One thing I want to mention about Denver before we go to Lewis is uh, Denver's pass rush looks absolutely awesome, though. I feel like that's the one thing that will keep them in it. And it's just criminal that they were able to get Shane Ray at the spot that they, they landed him in the draft uh, last April. Uh, I think that could end up really working out for them. And I realized that early on uh, they've always looked good on defense as, as the injuries start to really mount for them. So you'll have to see if guys like Von Miller stay healthy. But for right now, Von Miller looks really good. Uh, their defensive line is just getting a great push. So – and that's in spite of, of the losses they had this offseason. I mean, they're secondary, for the most part, getting it done, too. I know a lot of people like Chris Harris. Uh, you know what you're getting from Aqib Tlaib. So, uh, Lewis, one team that surprised you positively and one team that just you can't believe how bad they looked thus far and you expected more from. If you had said negatively, I would have been conflicted with myself because then my first team was the Jets. <laughs> because I understand that. positively, yes, positively, yes, they're doing good. Negatively, oh my God, they're doing good. Their defense looks good. Muhammad yeah, Wilkerson looks outstanding right now. And their offense is actually not so bad with Ryan Fitzpatrick at the helm. Yeah. Which uh, we kind of expected. He's got good weapons there. You knew Brandon Marshall. He, every time he's got a chip on his shoulder, he goes somewhere and he tears it up. I don't think he really had a chip on his shoulder when he came to Miami. I thought that that was actually a pretty plumb situation. It's like when he goes to Chicago and he's hearing that he sucks and whatnot. And then that's when that guy really goes out there and takes it to, uh, you know, his opponents on a weekly basis. And I realize that the, the mental problems typically ensue. But for right now, I mean, he looks really good. He's kind of like this uh, high-risk, high-reward kind of a guy because that emotion that we mock all the time about Brandon Marshall, he needs to chill out, he has issues, he needs to stay away, locker room cancer, all that stuff. It's that anger and that emotion that fuels him to be Brandon Marshall. Without it, he's just guy out there. Yeah. What about one team that you expected more from this year? Miami. <laughs> well, I mean, we can't outside, count of, we can't outside count of that. Yeah, so, I mean, outside so, of them. Duly noted. Uh, 
Um, I guess Indianapolis would be the easy one. I mean, I knew yeah, that they were. I knew I didn't think they were going to be Super Bowl contenders because I'm like they still don't have a defense. Like you can give. I we I said this in a, in a previous show with you guys. Like you can give Andrew Luck all the weapons you want to, but if he doesn't have a defense, then the puzzle isn't complete. You only just gave extra pieces to the to the finished side of the puzzle. So they still didn't have a defense, but I did not expect them to go zero and two. It was like you would think that that offense that's been carrying them all this time would at least get them one victory. I didn't expect them to get beat down both times. And the, the Seahawks, too. Um, I don't know. I said that Marshawn Lynch looks slow, so I guess maybe the beast is leaving beast mode. And when that happens, suddenly Russell Wilson looks exposed and goes on a tirade about how he was right about the magical QB world. Uh, maybe. But I just, I mean, I... I would never doubt Marshawn Lynch. I mean, God knows I'd never want to tackle him. But just, it seems like watching that game against Green Bay last Sunday night, he just he's getting tackled and he's going down easier than he – I mean, you usually look at that guy and you think, like, it's going to take at least two defenders to at least have a chance to get that guy to the ground. And it just looks it looks easier to bring him down right now. I don't know if it's just a temporary thing. I mean, I hate to see him slow down. He's been such a good player. I mean, we don't have to see him ever, so I don't really care. I mean, he can be as good as he wants. Uh, it, 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 but I don't know. eating too many Skittles in the offseason. Perhaps. You know, maybe maybe a little too much sugar. I don't know. Um, the, aside from all the low-hanging fruit, like, you know, Seattle, I definitely expected more from Seattle. I definitely expected more from Indianapolis. I'm going to say the Giants. expected more from the Giants thus far. And it's maddening in that they've looked good both weeks, and they've managed to uh, find ways to lose games. I think that, and I'm especially mad because I took a chance and uh, put Eli Manning at one of my fantasy teams, and he's put up really good numbers, but not really good enough. So, I mean, that that part of it kind of confuses me. I'd say um, one team that has surprised me, and I realize they're, I mean, they're one and one. Um, is Oakland. I thought that um, I thought Oakland was really starting to build up something better. I realize, and it goes further than just bringing in Amari Cooper. I really like Derek Carr. I realize that because I mean he's David Carr's brother. People always attach that negative connotation that he'll get sacked a bunch and then he'll pretty much fade away into obscurity. Uh, I like Derek Carr. I liked him when he was coming out of Fresno State. I thought that he was going to be pretty impressive. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a world beater, but I think he's in a really good situation right now. I think he's in an an offense that understands what he brings to the table and wants to maximize that talent. I think going to get Amari Cooper was really nice. I think that I'd, they want to see more on the ground right now. I mean, Latavius Murray is okay. Um, they could bolster that a little bit. They're always looking to bolster up the offensive line too. And then I think that their defense, Khalil Mack is just just awesome. I don't know if people were able to. I actually watched a lot of that Baltimore Oakland game on Sunday, and that guy—he's everywhere. He's just a whirling dervish. So I mean, that's pretty cool. But I mean, their secondary needs work. Uh, their defensive line—I mean, when you're relying a lot on Justin Tuck at this point in the game, uh, in a way, you're asking for it. So I don't think they're going to make the playoffs or anything. But I do think they're—they're they're further ahead of schedule than people realize. I think that team's going to do some pretty good things uh, coming up here if they're able to stay healthy. So, and then Denver's pass rush, I was impressed by them too. Yeah, but so, Denver, I mean, we knew they were going to be Denver. It's interesting to see if they can maintain it. I mean, and the the cruel thing about that Thursday night game last week was that Kansas City's pass rush was just as good, if not better. Justin Houston, in particular, I, I'd say the difference between Kansas City and Denver in terms of pass rush is. Kansas City gets it done with uh, fewer players, whereas there's just a wealth of pass rushers in Denver who can get it done. I mean, and now they're bringing in these younger guys like Shane Ray and whatnot. Uh, if you're playing Kansas City, uh, usually the main players getting after the quarterback are Justin Houston and uh, Tom Ali. So, um, and I mean, it's, it's great to see Eric Berry healthy. So, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've Kansas City is always a team I've never really disliked. Um, I'm old enough to remember when, uh, you know, like Joe Montana was playing with them and whatnot. Uh, so, 
and they were always kind of like a like a second or third favorite team for me at that point. So it's always cool and to see them doing well. <laughs> Although I will say that Andy Reid actually coached him right out of that game. And I own Jamal Charles in a fantasy league, so I'm biased. I need them to do well. So we've got a couple of minutes left. What do you guys think happens on Sunday? Because we talked about a lot of scenarios here. We've got a good defense coming in uh, with a loudmouth uh, head coach who really isn't fat anymore, so we can't make fun of him for that. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, um, not really, not ready to buy into him yet, but I think he's in a, a plum situation with Buffalo right now. I think that they're going to be able to to maximize what he's got going on and perhaps hide some of his weaknesses. So what do you think happens when Buffalo rolls in on Sunday? Then I'll talk on one. I guess I'll go first then. Uh, yes, please do. Um, okay, so uh, I hate to be a negative person, but I have to be a negative person here. Like we 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 talked about this earlier. I told you I told you about New England. Here's how they beat Buffalo. They looked for the weakness and went at it. Miami is not going to do that. Miami is going to try and run things their way. They're gonna do things the way they want to do it. They're not gonna look for ways to exploit the other team, and that is what makes it so that things go wrong. Indianapolis didn't, as far as I know, Indianapolis did not look around Buffalo to see who can we pick on to make sure that we win this game. In New England does. Miami is more along the lines of Indianapolis in this case. And they they may have they, they have the potential to be a better defense than Indianapolis. I can't say they will be because after the last two games, it's like it'd be blasphemous for me to say that they'd be better because until they actually do something good, I can't say anything like that. And they have to be visibly good. They can't just, like, you can't look at the numbers and say, oh, they only let up three points in the second half. Yeah, but they looked ugly doing it. So, there. They got helped a lot by a lot of dumb drops by Rashad Green or whatever that guy's name is. Like, how many times did Dolphins' defense get bailed out because somebody dropped the pass? That I don't give that to the defense. So, well, let me ask you a question. I, just based, just based on, on some of the comments you made there. Do you think that New England is the only team that's going to have considerable success against Buffalo this season? I don't expect that, but at the same time, you have to. I I, I figure that they are the most obvious about it. I mean, and they have success uh, pretty much against everybody as long as the O line is working and he has Gronk and Edelman. The offense is just fine, and after that, they just pick on whoever they need to pick on. And that's just how New England plays. That's why they managed to win all this time. It's not so much the talent they have. It's just that they use what talent they have and pick on the players on the other teams that are not talented. That's their play style. They don't have a specific style of offense. They don't have a specific style of defense. They just go around and see, okay, who's the weakest link, and nail them. And that's when, that's when the whole philosophy of you're only as strong as your weakest link. New England exploits that philosophy. And Miami, they haven't do that. I'm not sure that New England has a ton of of offensive avenues anyway right now. It's not like they have a full smorgasbord of receivers. So I understand that. They don't need it. And I agree. Well, I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, I feel like it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy in that they roll out Gronk, and then they've got Edelman, and then they pretty much just throw a bunch of heels in there. And people say, like, oh, they're just taking advantage of, of another team's linebackers and safeties by throwing out Gronk. No, they're taking advantage of anything you throw out there because chances are Gronk is going to win that matchup. So I understand what you're saying, and I agree, because in uh, in New England's history, that's what they've done. But at this point, it's not like they've got a wealth of of offensive tools and weapons in there. I mean, it's very bare bones, and it works for them because, I mean, what they've got in there, uh, Edelman's ability to work either underneath or deep has been great for uh, Tom Brady, who excelled at throwing uh, – uh, both those passes, but Gronk is just a matchup nightmare. He's incredible, and their offensive line is better than than pe- people always underrate uh, New England's offensive line just because they always they've always got some no name schmoes in there. But I mean that team knows what they want to do. Um, the great wall of the offensive world. trenches. Yeah, the five layers of visa protection. If people remember those stupid commercials, so. Um, 
I understand what you're saying, and I I totally agree with you. But at the same time, it's that sounds like a self-fulfilling prophecy to me because they've only got a few avenues out there. Just so happens that they their their few weapons are completely outweighed just about anything you can put in its path or in their path. And that's how they say. and that's how they win their games. And I don't think Miami's going to be able to do that. They don't a they don't have Gronk. I mean Jordan Cameron's good, but he's not Gronk. He's not going to run. Well, Jordan Cameron's not going to run people over to the end zone. And I don't think anyone Edelman, in, Yeah, no, so exactly. So nobody is Gronkowski. So they don't have that going for them. You could make the argument that Landry is Julian Edelman, but people will people got mad at me last year for daring to say that because how dare you compare Jarvis Landry to the greatness that is Julian Edelman? Uh, um, because they do the same thing, but in any case... Uh, that's BS. Jarvis is far more talented, in my opinion, than Julian Edelman. I think Julian Edelman's a really good pass catcher. I think Jarvis could be great before it's all said and done. I think he's that good. And well, I've the people telling me this play. were in Dolphins never... Twitter, not not New England. Oh, who cares? But yeah, right. They're, like, they're, their uh, opinions are more valid than anyone else's. That's complete BS. You, I mean, you know what you're looking at. Edelman's an outstanding pass catcher. He's obviously a viable weapon for Tom Brady. He continues to throw to him. Uh, defenses are having a hard time scheme, scheming for this guy. Just because, as I mentioned, I mean, he works out the slot. They've, they've used him deep, and he's able to provide that element, especially when you got Gronk taking up so much volume uh, underneath, too, when they run him uh, in that capacity, and they just use him really as a, as a physical, you know, it's a bulldozer. So uh, I think Jarvis is, is really going to be outstanding. And, I mean, the physicality he brings for a guy of his size is is just awesome, in my opinion. Like, and we've seen a couple right. of instances in which he's got multi, he's just got linebackers, safeties, cornerbacks hanging off of him, and he's dragging them. He's taking them to the sticks. You know, that's incredible because he's not a big guy. So, I mean, Jarvis just wants it. Jarvis has got a rare work ethic, in my opinion. So, I mean, has Edelman had more success? Yeah, he's been in the league longer. And, I mean, I understand he was a quarterback in college. But I think Jarvis is going to be pretty special before it's all said and done. So, I think it's pretty short-sighted to to make that comparison and just assume that one guy is going to win out. I think Jarvis is going to be pretty good. So, But I agree that uh, Joe Philbin and co. are uh, set in their ways with a lot of this. I mean, going into the Sunday, and instead of trying to exploit, you know, they'll try to do their own thing, um, and that's they're gonna, and that's gonna be their downfall. Too bad it's got to come to that because it doesn't have to. I mean, you've got enough weapons out there where you're able to spread out defenses, and you can exploit the matchups that you want if you're confident in what you've got on the perimeter, and they should feel confident in what they have on the perimeter. But you're not gonna see it. So, I mean, that's. If you, if we're drawing parallels here, the coaching staff is a problem, based on the conversation we just had. I mean, what I'm are, not going to throw. Match, what are the what are the matchups? I mean, we're talking about well, they can't, they're not going to exploit the matchups. So what are those matchups? Um, I mean, I would take. I, I mean, I don't know that much about Buffalo's linebacking court at this, this point, but while they don't have similar games, the tight ends that Miami can throw out there present a similar problem to Gronkowski in that they are uh, downfield weapons. Uh, they may not, they don't play the same, but they offer that. Um, that same type of, you know, Jordan Cameron's becoming a deep threat. He's going to attack the scene. Buffalo's going to have to deal with that. They're going to have to account for that. He's got to deal with Jarvis Landry. I think the, the comment I made was that was that there are matchups to exploit. We don't know if they're going to make it happen, but their personnel really should give them the upper hand against most secondaries they go against because they've got a quarterback who can exploit those matchups. They've got the speed and the route running on the perimeter to make that stuff happen. Now it's all about actualization and realizing yeah, so what's going to happen. To me, but that's, that's what we're saying. They can't outthink themselves. Yeah, they can't outthink themselves. I don't think it's that... They need to worry about attacking a weak link or some other thing like that because really, I mean, Buffalo's got a pretty good, pretty decent secondary, but that's that, in my opinion, is their weakest link, and that's exactly what Miami has to attack. Um, you know, you, to me, you would overthink this game by 
going in and loading up the box and trying to run power type running plays um, all the time. Going single wide receiver set, things like that. Now, that's not to say they don't need to run. They do need to run. They need to establish the run. But at the same time, they do need to attack through the air, and that's the matchups that they have. The offensive line is a concern, and I think that's what everyone's thinking. But, well, you know, Buffalo's defensive line is going to just, you know, destroy Miami's offensive line. Well, last year they faced Miami, and they had um, they had uh, Juwan James at left tackle, who is not very good at left tackle, and Dallas Thomas at right tackle, and they won the game. Um, I, I would argue that what they have now on the offensive line, especially if Albert can play, is better than what they had last year. And the difference between that and the first game is Tannehill is now better than he was in that first game, uh, when they played Buffalo the first time. So, I mean, if they can keep him clean, if they, if they can work on doing whatever they need to do to keep Tannehill clean and get a clean pocket for him, I think the matchups are there for Miami just to, to attack all day. I mean, I mean, I, I know it's a, it's a division game, but those are always close. But everybody's like, oh, this Buffalo defense, this Buffalo defense. Yeah, they're pretty good. But Miami's got the weapons to exploit it. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I'm just not worried about them, you know, trying to um, trying to explore a particular matchup. I mean, in my opinion, if Jordan Cameron can play and he's healthy enough to go, that's your, that's your weak link right there for them. I mean, I, I don't know how they're going to cover that guy. Nobody's found a way yet. Yeah, I think you just you hope he's healthy because that's, that's something you'd like to exploit. We've got about one minute left. Anything you guys want to uh, expand on or mention before we go ahead and call it a night? Ryan Tannehill is awesome quarterback. That is all. He is awesome. It was a pleasure to watch yeah. him put together those drives last Sunday. If I am the, if I'm the Dolphins, I... Uh, I have Billy Turner practice at left tackle. And we've talked about this before, but I think now with Albert's injury, go ahead and go ahead and let Turner start and get some reps there so that maybe after the bye week you possibly can insert him if necessary. Can't say I disagree with that either. That becomes a, a bigger problem every week as we um we start to worry about Brandon Elver's ability to play uh, and stay healthy over a 16-game period. So, Unfortunately, right. Duke is not Miami, so they won't do it. Yeah, we should find a way to get him in there. We'll just go ahead and run some sort of like sleeper cell or something, and then we'll go ahead and we'll plant him in there. For what it sounds like, they won't notice. So um, I want to thank my friends, Lewis and uh, Duke, for joining me tonight. Uh, I had a good time talking about some stuff, even though it's Really not a incredibly fun time uh, of the season. It's never fun when you're you're dropping games you should win, uh, regardless of the opponent. So hopefully, well, you know what the Dolphins play. You know what Keith, the Dolphins play down to their opponents. Hopefully, they also play up to their opponents. So maybe there's yeah, a chance. I think I think that's the hope. So I want to thank my my friends for joining me. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we'll, we do this every Wednesday night now, so um, we'll be back next week, and uh, hopefully we'll have some uh, good stuff to talk about following Sunday's game at Buffalo. So for Lewis and Duke, uh, this is Keith, and uh, thanks for joining in. We'll talk to you next week. Good night. Good night. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron. 
most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.